0: I'm going to read the text for today, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the sermon. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. an unbeliever. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear your word this morning. Help it to form us and shape us and direct us. Help us to hear these general instructions for the church and for us as individuals with our own care of our families, extended or not. For us as the Christians in the church and our own care for the spiritual household of God, help us to respond in obedience to your commands and what pleases you, as this word says. So form us and shape us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two things that this text is communicating, one about each of the households as a Christian that you're part of. That is, this text talks about implementing godliness and putting them in practice in the household of your family, your natural household, and the household of your church, your spiritual family or your spiritual household. So each, this text is speaking to each of those things and, and kind of where they meet. Like where, where care for your own biological family and your spiritual family share burdens and responsibility together. The, the first point is this. Every local church is expected to care for its members in need, especially widows. And the text that I just read for you, this comes out in verses 3 and then 5 through 6. Notice how the command of verse 3 begins. Honor widows who are truly widows. And then the rest of this text fleshes this out. In the ancient world, women had no status rights, which means they couldn't inherit money or property. They're just a foreign element for us today. And in many ways, the development of our culture is an improvement from in that society where individual's worth was deemed as less than another. So a man's worth was higher than a woman's, and a man could inherit property, a woman couldn't. A man could hold earnings and titles and positions, a woman could not. So a woman without a husband is a woman without inheritance, without land or property rights, without income, nothing. So the attachment of a woman to a family was survival. It was like an umbilical cord for an infant. Without that cord between a parent and a child, there was nothing. And literally in the ancient world, women were viewed as children. They had no rights. They had no right to speak. They weren't educated the same. Things that reflect a, a confusion and distortion about how God made us male and female, all in God's image. That was a distortion. That is what sin does. It elevates and, 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 or, or minimizes, and that was the situation of women. So you imagine the church now knowing what's true, right, knowing what's true about the world and how God made all people equal, but seeing that culture is not evaluating that the same and saying, hey, Christians, guess what your job is? Your job is to watch out for them. There might be no husband or no father, or no family member that will care for that woman, that is your sister. It is Christian principles, brothers and sisters, that that extended this to happen in society. Arguably, and we don't have time to talk about it this morning, but arguably, even what we saw in this our own country, the United States, was Christian principles extending the worth of all people, the value of all people, black or white, male or female, educated or uneducated. Whether they're able to contribute to society or they are disabled and limited in function, they are all worthy. It was Christian principles that extended care in society to those in need today because all people are of equal value as image bearers of God. In fact, this text, if anything, should help us see how Christians should seek human flourishing. For we know the worth of all people and the works of God. We should, be those, we should be people that care about those who are hungry or those who are sick or the unborn, as rightly we often talk about. But there's numerous areas in our culture where we should be seeking human flourishing as a ministry of God's common grace. See, this is what the Bible means by the term hospitality. And again, I've pushed on this for us before. When you and I hear the word hospitality, we often just translate that as entertainment. Just having a few friends over, letting somebody spend the night that we know. No, that's not hospitality as the Bible defines it. The Bible defines hospitality as actually giving sacrificially, where it hurts, to people we don't even know or to people from whom we get nothing back. That is biblical hospitality. In fact, let me give you one word that has the same root that you may know. Hospitality, hospital. When you think of a hospital, you don't think of just having friends over. You think of the culture, the society, seeking human flourishing by setting up residence for those who are sick and in need. Same root word. Now you're getting the biblical meaning. And it has been Christians for centuries that have started things like hospitals, education in schools, food pantries, rescue missions, etc. There's numerous examples we could give of this. Even the public school system, as Vera shared with us a couple months ago on a Sunday morning, the public school system literally was started by beginning on Sunday school, Sunday morning, and trying to provide children who had no access To education, to be able to teach them how to read, not only just so that they could read God's word, but also as a common grace gift to develop them because they are worthy as image bearers of God. So, so, so a lot of this opening command fits what we as Christians should, by instinct, understand about not only the special grace ministry of Jesus, the, the the work of our soul, but the common grace ministry of the church. Pursuing and striving for human flourishing for all people. Never, never pitting those against one another. That we never have to pit God as Savior against God as Creator. God and Savior and Creator is the same God. So special and common grace work in ministry should simply be like the right and the left leg and the body. They're never kicking one another. But the one supports the other as the other propels forward the body. So let's look at this text when Paul says, then honor widows who are truly widows. What does it mean to honor widows? That's verse three. To give someone honor is simply to give them what they are due. If somebody has honor, they have a value. They have a worth. Like a king deserves honor. Like a guest would deserve honor. And and maybe in an ancient culture, or maybe in a non-Western culture that has honor and shame, that's easier to understand. That you just give honor to, to someone someone older, someone superior, so, someone senior over you. There's an honor, there's a deference, there's a giving of yourself to someone who is of worth and value. So, so now Paul is saying with, with what we've already learned about what a widow is worth in the eyes of God and what a widow should be worth in the eyes of her church family Giving her honor means giving her what she is due. The beginning of Acts revealed this problem. The church started. It's this unique family, and it's doing its spiritual work. And then in Acts chapter 6... The spiritual pastors and shepherds were like, we are, we are already overwhelmed and assigned to do word and prayer, the spiritual special grace work of the church, that there are tons of widows and orphans and physical needs in the body. Lord, guide us into that. And it was in those moments of the early church where the Lord revealed the office of the deacon. We've talked about these recently in 1 Timothy. The office of pastor elder deals with the spiritual needs of the church, The office of deacon deals with the physical needs of the church, and that would include ministry to widows. The reality is that women in the ancient world without families would need the church to support them. They would have to act like the husband to give them share in property and income and food. This is not new that the Bible would expect this. This theme is present throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture, from the beginning of the Bible to the end. God's people have been commanded to watch out for the weak, those in need, those oppressed, to be seeking justice because we know what is true about people, we know what is true about sin in the world, and we know what is true about God's heart. Jesus himself, speaking to Christians in the Gospel of Matthew, was literally saying, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And when he's using that language, he's speaking of his, himself as the body of Christ. He's rebuking Christians who literally did not care for the body of Christ. And of course, these Christians are like, what are you talking about? We loved you, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you loved me, you would love my sisters. And you would love my, the widows. They are part of my body. If you cared about my body you'd care for the church. Get away from me, he says. I never knew you. That should scare us in any way to not take serious the body of Christ, the church. That should just absolutely cause us to panic as if we think we can love Jesus without loving the body. Even the announcement I gave a few minutes ago about gathering back together and the importance of physicality bumps into this. The body of Christ is not something to take lightly. If you are not here, You are not with us, looking around, caring for a brother or a sister in need. You are literally neglecting Jesus, for which he gives some harsh words. How can you know who to love if you're not here to love them and know them? Brothers and sisters, God commands we honor widows. Then he says this at the end of verse 3, he says, what is... The question I ask is this, what does Paul mean by the qualification, truly widows? He says, honor widows who are truly widows. Well, he explains that in verses five and six. Paul defines that one who is a true widow has three qualifications. Like these are the ones that fit the qualification. And he lists them. And they're all in verse five. And then he gives a contrast in verse six. Here are the three qualifications, verse 5. The first is that the text says she's left all alone, meaning she has no family to support her. If there is a sons and daughters, extended family, as this text will say, it is ultimately their burden. Now, they may not be able to meet that burden, and the church should step in. But as Paul will say, the church family is there when she is all left alone. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if this would not only apply to a widow, for example, but in our DNA not just a, a but not just a widow but also a widower, just out of loneliness or needing help and physical care I wonder if we could and I think we could apply it in this way those who are needy in support of the church family here's another application I think we could think of again this qualification of left alone. There are times, and this happens in our own church body, where a husband and a father is not faithful to his wife and to his children. He leaves them, or he divorces them, or he's abusive, or he's emotionally hurtful, and he's gone. And you have a single mom, and you have children. And I'm telling you, there is a need then for the church to step in. My mom was not a Widow, but she was all alone raising this little boy, and there were key men in my life whether it was elementary school teachers at Rockford Christian, whether it was uh, pastors at my local EFCA church, or whether it was just men who were friends of the family who stepped in. I remember a man named Jim who would regularly take me to the Rockford YMCA and we'd shoot baskets because as a fifth grader and sixth grader, I just loved basketball. And we'd shoot some baskets and he'd show me a few things and then we'd go and we'd get a a scoop of ice cream. And I still remember feeling this special treatment he was giving to me because he was looking out for me in that sense as a boy without a dad. That's what the church should do. That's what qualifies. And I wonder if this could extend to several situations besides just a widow. That it would include children and you often see the Bible pair those two women and children. there should be a special concern for those who are left alone. Uh, two other qualifications verse five gives one is that we hope it, that she hopes in God for her situation, and the third is that she trusts in God for her needs here you're actually seeing that the widow is being addressed not, not, not just her situation but her Her identity, she's grounding herself in God. Like this, This is when you see a sister, in this case an example of a widow, who is not basing her life on her circumstances but trusting them in God. Her identity is grounded in God. That is where her hope is. And her provision is based on God. She's asking him night and day to provide for her. That is, this text is not only telling the church what to do for widows, but even how the widow is supposed to respond—that that explains the harsh comment in verse six. But she who is self-indulgent—that is, somebody who actually has resources, isn't in need, but is using the church to gain more—that's the, what the text means. That she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. That is, she might be physically alive, but spiritually, that is pillaging from Christ and His body, the church. You are taking what you don't need when other people might need those resources. That's theft. The Bible never makes, the Bible never makes our circumstances determinative. It is so easy, and I constantly hear people say things like, I, I'm, "I'm mad at God. I'm angry, at God, how could God do that?" God is the constant. Your circumstances are the variable. God, The Bible never allows you to make your circumstances the constant. Well, God is unfaithful because I didn't get what I have or I lost my husband or my children or so. It is never about God. It's ultimately about trusting in Him. Every circumstance, good or bad, is simply a way to place our hope and our trust in God. This text is pushing even on the widow. Rather than just making them helpless, it's giving helpful direction to them. Hey, sister, I understand that this is a plight that is difficult for you, but you are also commanded to respond in obedience to God. It's the church responds in obedience to you, so you respond in obedience to God. And how do you respond in obedience to God when difficult things happen? You find your identity in Him, you hope in Him, and you find your provision in Him. You pray to Him. Well, that word could go to a lot of us today. Maybe not widows, alone who would need to hear this, but any of us, any of you going through something difficult right now needs to know God is not to say, oh, I'm so sorry. It's all about you now. No, 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 listen. You need to know that you have been commanded by your king to make God the constant and you set your hope in him and you trust in him for your provisions. Even when you can't see how it's going to work out, you are commanded to respond in obedience and submission to your king. That is hard to do it's hard for some of you in the situations you're in, and I'm sure that would be hard for a widow. But that is what God calls us to do. That's why the truly widow statement is important. Somebody whose situation and whose submission is properly fitted to worship and receive from God. The last thing I want to say today is this. Not only is every local church expected to care for its members in need, especially widows, But there's an exhortation to individual Christians. Every Christian is expected to be, call it, a first responder to their own family members in need. That's what verse 4 says. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, hear this, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. Notice that that's what godliness looks like. Godliness isn't just some kind of spiritual asceticism, kind of just floating in the air in spiritual bliss. Godliness happens in deed. It happens in action. It is is applied godliness to our lives. To show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. That's an interesting way to say it. Like, your parents have cared for you, or your grandparents cared for your parents who cared for you. Make some return, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So why define a widow carefully? Because a widow has, if a widow has a Christian family, God assigns them the task to care for her. Again, I I told you from the beginning. The general instructions of the church here, this one is twofold. You exist in two households, a natural household and a spiritual household, a biological family and a spiritual family. And you have responsibilities in both. And there might be in your biological or natural family a need that you as a family member are to pursue. And there might be a spiritual family need that you as a Christian are meant to pursue. And Paul is trying to delineate how that gets worked out. If it is your parent or grandparent, if it is somebody in your extended family as a Christian, you are obliged, you are commanded by God to pursue to meet that need. There's lots of variables about what resources you have and what other family members could come in, and certainly that is not being explained or defined with precision here. The thrust of the command is quite simply, do not think you can remove yourself. What you are able and how you are able to participate, you must respond. That's why that statement in verse 4 is significant. "'Let them learn to show godliness to their own household.'" You live Christianly, not just in the church family, but in your own family. In this context, to show godliness means to recognize the holy assignment and duty of each Christian to care for your family. An extension and application of the commandment to honor your father and mother going back to the beginning of the Bible, to the Ten Commandments. When it says, honor your father and mother, that's one of the big ten. When one of those ten, which summarized the rest of biblical commands... When one of those 10 talks about caring for your father and mother, whether that's your grandfather or grandmother or not, that is a command that God holds dearly, and you and I had better obey. Paul concludes in verses 7 and 8 with two warnings. First is this. In verse 7, he says, but if anyone, sorry, 7, command these things as well, so that you may be without reproach. What he's saying is that we must make sure we teach this command in the church. Like We we are honoring God by taking this serious now. So you need to hear this. I need to hear this. This is a command that the church is supposed to be told. Your two households, your biological and your spiritual, your supernatural and your natural, you are to have a burden of care for those two households. You need to know that. Now you've been informed. In verse 8, the second warning is this. Obedience to this command is a sign of a person's faith. Paul says it best. Verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his of his household, get this. He is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Brothers and sisters, may that not be us. What's the opposite of showing godliness by loving our natural families and our supernatural family? The opposite of that is acting like a pagan. Should not Christians reflect familial love and care more than pagans should? If the pagans can care for their parents, should not Christians be the most generous? If pagans can care for their extended family and show something that resonates with hospitality as the Bible describes it, shouldn't Christians be twofold showing that? The point could be this. If you do not care for your mother, Paul is saying, then you do not know your heavenly father. Those are harsh words. You could even argue it's a bit hyperbole, that there could just be uh, somebody who just is is so greedy. Money becomes such a big deal. Their own sense of security, the, the risk of the inheritance they want to give to their children should it be extended to extended family, who they might rationalize as being unfaithful themselves. Just hear the warning God gives. A symptom of somebody who knows their Heavenly Father is that they care for their mothers and fathers earthly. So how do we respond to this text? We could generally just say this. Every Christian is commanded to show godly hospitality in both their natural and their supernatural households. And maybe you need to just do a reflection on that. Are there people in my church family that I know are in need, that that I should be contributing to, caring for, checking on? Do I even know the people in my church family who are in need? How do I pursue that? These would be viable applications from this text and responses. Are there people, secondly, in my natural household? Are there extended family members I know of that I've kind of rationalized away? Or, well, maybe somebody, my my cousin or someone else will take care of that, that this text says, hey, this isn't just their problem. This is your problem. I hear the warning of this text, and I run and respond. Uh, let, let me frame it this way. Uh, a barometer of church health, the health of Hope Evangelical Free Church, and a barometer of a healthy Christian is how much they enact the Christian virtue of hospitality and care for the weak and needy. Like if you want to know if our church is a healthy church, how much do we know about and care about and respond to the needs of our brothers and sisters? And if you want to know kind of a litmus test, like check my, do do a physical, a spiritual physical, then the question would be this, how serious do I take the needs of my own natural biological household. These are the things we should address. L- let me make three personal applications. First, let me, let me talk to the widow. Let me talk to the widower. Let me talk to the woman whose husband has failed to be a faithful, supportive husband, or to the kids who are lacking maybe a dad, maybe a parent, This text exhorts you to hope and trust in God the Father. It doesn't doesn't just remove any responsibility to be faithful to Jesus Christ in this. Find your identity in God. Find your hope in God. Find your provision in God. Follow what was commanded of you in verse 5. And be willing to receive from your church family when they want to help. Because they're commanded to. It can be so hard in our American Western culture to receive. We love to be the givers. We hate to be the getters. Brothers and sisters, that is part of your worship. Your brothers and sisters have been commanded to care for you. Do not withhold their obedience to the King and do not deny provisions from your Heavenly Father. To the Christian family member, let me just say this to you. If you know of somebody in your household, whether it's minimal connection or extended in some way, you have a Christian duty to pursue that, to ask some questions, to find out, to be hospitable and generous with your resources and obedient of your responsibilities. That is what this text is calling you to do. Be aware of that. And finally, to the church, in this spiritual household in which we gather, open your eyes. Start by that. Look. What are their needs? Find out. If you have a question, talk to a pastor. Connect with a pastor elder. Maybe ask a staff person. Do it with a level of confidentiality and respect. But but come and talk to a pastor elder who may know about a family in need or, or may be benefited by a resource that you can have. Open your eyes. Second, share your resources. Be generous. Be hospitable. Love your brothers and sisters. Remember that rebuke of Christ in the Gospels. I was hungry and you never fed me. I was cold and you never clothed me. May that not be how you treat the body of Christ here in your church. And let me give you one more practical application. One of the things in this culture that we have elevated is the biological family. We just have. And family time is like sacred time and holidays especially. And one, one thing I've thought about the last couple years, and I think I've shared this with you before, I wonder if we could start to reverse that and include in our biological family time our spiritual family. There are people who literally can't afford an expensive meal on Thanksgiving or Christmas, are quite alone. One of the most lonely times of the year in American Western culture is when all these big families get together and a couple sisters or brothers who have nobody sit alone. Consider being missional. Consider extending your biological family to the church family and finding widows, single moms, kids without moms or dads. Inviting them to your Meals on Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter brunch. Include them. Like overlap your biological and spiritual family in a a way that reflects both duties. Two weeks later, you can have a big meal just with your own kin. You can open the gifts anytime you want. But on those sacred days... Let your spiritual family life overlap with your biological family life. Let there never be, never be a person in your church family who is sitting alone on Christmas Day. Never may that be the case. That you are literally on the hunt to find who might not have a place to go that they could be in my house. Then, then, you're doing what the end of verse 4 says. You are doing what is pleasing in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your... Your rich word that exhorts us, it rebukes us, it gives us directions for how to live. Help us to manage well our natural families and our spiritual families, to see see the responsibility we have to both. Father, in light of COVID, in light of uh, separation physically, as we begin to return, Father, bring your people back who have stayed away because of convenience or maybe even convictions that need to be pushed on by what is true in your word. Bring them back and help us to be a family, a spiritual family. Help us to be faithful as individual Christians in our extended families. Not only for the good of all these people, Father, but also for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.